When Jesus answered questions, he often did so by asking questions, because questions are supposed to make people think. Next on Polygamy, what love is this? I came across a website recently entitled 50 Questions to Ask Mormons. As I read through the questions, I not only tried to answer them as I would have when I was still in the polygamy group, but I also wondered how we could adapt these for our program yeah, of and tweak them, of course, to be more relevant to polygamy group teachings. Now, we're putting the link to the website on the screen. And it's quite a long link, but it's oneplace.com, and it's by Pastor Ed Taylor. And he was interested in the Mormons answering these questions. So what we want to do is present them to have polygamists and LDS, if you're watching, to answer these questions. Polygamous and LDS doctrines are identical in many ways. They differ in some ways, but they're, they're related uh, in, in most ways, especially foundational. And so um, they can relate to our polygamous viewers. So we're going to ask several questions. Not every question that he asked, but some of the questions that he had on the website. But please keep in mind, they can be equally answered. Yeah. By LDS or, or right. polygamists. Right. Uh, polygamy is foundational to Mormon belief and practice. So the LDS should uh, and should be able to answer these questions regarding the behavior of their early church leaders and teachings. Many of them, of course, who they call prophets and they were polygamists. Mm-hmm. And since Bishop Earl is <laughs> from the LDS church yes, and I'm from a Mormon polygamy group, we both have insight into these questions and how we found the answers. Now, we won't be, like I say, asking all 50 questions, but we're going to be asking enough questions that we'll be doing this in two parts. And we ask our viewers to search out genuine answers without relying upon Mormon Church's official explanations. Mormonism considers itself Christian. So why not try basic Christian answers instead? If you truly are Christian, you should not fear doing a well-rounded research about your religion. Now, the first question is a combination of numbers two and five from the original list, and they relate to the, relate to the same topic, a true and false prophets and prophecies. And it is, why <laughs> is Joseph Smith still considered a true prophet of God, even though he made a false prophecy that a temple would be built in Missouri in his generation? And that's in Doctrine and Covenants 84. Uh, He made a false prophecy, yet he still considered a true prophet. Why? It's a good question, isn't Mm. it? And we'll find the answer, or at least the comment here in Doctrine and Covenants 84, 1 through 5. It's a revelation given through Joseph Smith at Kirtland, Ohio, September 22nd and 23rd of 1832. found in the History of the Church, Volume 1. A revelation of Jesus Christ unto his servant, Joseph Smith, Jr., and six elders as they united their hearts and lifted their voices on high. (coughs) Excuse me. Yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church, established in the last days for the restoration of his people, as he has spoken by the mouth of his prophets, and for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion, which shall be called the city of New Jerusalem, which city shall be built beginning at the temple lot, which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri and dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith, Jr. Verily, this is the word of the Lord. 
that the city New Jerusalem shall be built by the gathering of the saints, beginning at this place, even the place of the temple, which temple shall be reared in this generation. For verily this generation shall not all pass away until an house shall be built unto the Lord, and a cloud shall rest upon it, which cloud shall be even the glory of the Lord, which shall fill the house. Now that sounds pretty fancy. Pretty good stuff for those days, a I'm sure. Of, a lot of words to say we're going to have a temple yeah. here, yeah. <laughs> but it's a failed prophecy. That's true. And to make it sound authentic, he plagiarized words from the King James Bible, New Jerusalem and Mount Zion, for mm -hmm. example. Now, the New Jerusalem from the Bible comes down out of heaven. You don't build it. And Mount Zion is in Israel, not in Missouri. He got it all wrong. <laughs> he said in verse 4 that this event would happen in his generation, yep. and it didn't happen at all. Deuteronomy 18 gives us a clear definition of how to test for a true or false prophet. Yes, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Now, the Bible's test is 100% accuracy, right? That's no right. mistakes allowed. And it has to be 100% accurate in all, all content of all prophecies. Right. Based on these two questions, why shouldn't Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and others be um, rejected as true prophets? Why trust someone who failed in his prophetic responsibility? And of course, this question takes us to the next one. Well, since current LDS and polygamy group prophets often contradict the former ones, how do you how do you decide which one is correct? And that's a good. That's an excellent. I question. think that's a really good question. This is the problem in the, not only the Mormon Church but in all the polygamy groups. Yeah. Because different leaders will come and they'll say something different. Do they? That that than what the other person did. Change practices they have, or doctrines. They, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and what gets you to heaven, what you need to do to be saved, and all that. Wow. So how do you know which one to believe? That that's a valid question. And we're not referring to progressive revelation here uh, that Mormonism embrace, embraces. We're talking about contradictions in doctrine and practice. How do you justify obeying leaders who not only teach opposing doctrine, but comes up against what Jesus himself taught? <laughs> like the word of wisdom. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus pronounced all foods clean. The Sabbath day, uh, marriage in heaven, polygamy instead of monogamy, and so on. Yeah. And you need to check this out for yourself. In order to properly investigate something, you really must read opposing views. And we suggest the Bible. <laughs> the next question, why did Brigham Young teach that Adam is our father and our God, which he did in Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, when both the Bible and the Book of Mormon say that Adam is a creation of God? Yeah, we read from the Book of Mormon, Mormon 9, 11, and 12. But behold, I will show unto you a God of miracles, even the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And it is that same God who created the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. Behold, he created Adam 
And by Adam came the fall of man. And because of the fall of man came Jesus Christ, even the Father and the Son. And because of Jesus Christ came the redemption of man. Now we notice in these Book of Mormon verses that God is a creator. Not the organizer of already existing material. And specifically, he created Adam. Yeah, that's what it says. (laughs) So how can we believe Brigham Young when he turns this around to say that Adam is God? Did did Adam create himself? Mm. And and Brigham Young did teach this, by the way. Most polygamists know he taught it. Uh, However, the LDS Church denies that he did. They just say he was stating an opinion. But it's in the Journal of Discourses, and Brigham Young promised that every sermon that he gave to the children of men can be considered scripture. And he did it for a lot of years, He did it for a lot, yeah. (laughs) Now, of course, the Bible declares that God alone is creator of everything and everyone, and he created all of it out of nothing. Um, The next question. (laughs) If the Book of Mormon is the most correct of any book on earth, as Joseph Smith said... Why does it contain over 4,000 changes from the original 1830 edition? And this was one of your concerns when you were studying yourself out of the church. That was absolutely true, yeah. Now, of course, polygamy groups embrace both the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith, just as the LDS Church does. Uh, Yeah, who answers this question? We've asked this question before on the show uh, many times, I think. We've uh, we've addressed these changes in the Book of Mormon. Um, Why are there so many changes some of them are grammatical. Others are actual doctrinal changes. Uh, how could God make so many mistakes <laughs> if it was him who gave it to Joseph Smith? Uh, and, and we haven't received one single answer, not even one attempt no. to answer. In fact, in my, I mean, I was 65 years in the church. I, I didn't even know there were changes right. to the Book of Mormon. Right. I'd never gone to UTLM.org. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never tested it. it. Never, never checked it out. That's Just right. Just assumed they were both. As, I did know that there were, I figured there were some publishing errors, some printer errors, mm-hmm. and just some uh, grammatical changes. But these, there are some real doctrinal changes. There is, some very uh, serious ones. Yeah. Our next question is about the Book of Mormon again. So, if the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel, why do polygamy groups and the LDS Church need additional works? That's a question I've asked as well. I've wondered if anybody wonders that. If the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel, why does it prohibit polygamy? Have you, you, polygamists, have you ever checked that out? Polygamists and LDS alike are responsible to answer this question because even though the LDS Church doesn't practice polygamy now, polygamy is part of their doctrines, part of their foundation. It was practiced by Joseph Smith after the Book of Mormon was published. That's right. And it condemns polygamy. And, and, And again, we wonder if you ever wonder things like this. And there are good answers. And the answers do not include the response, well, God will make it clear to us in heaven. God has made it clear to us now. <laughs> you can find the answer now. And if you don't believe it here and now, how will you ever believe it there? That's for sure. Next question. So again, if the Book of Mormon contains the 
fullness of the everlasting gospel, why doesn't it say anything about so many important teachings, such as eternal progression, celestial marriage, the word of wisdom, the plurality of gods, the preexistence of man, a mother in heaven, baptism for the dead, the importance of polygamy, and the united order, etc. Okay, again. Such a good question. Yeah, it is a good question. Never thought about Based it. on their own claims. Yeah. Based on their own claims. The Book of Mormon says nothing about these essential teachings of Mormonism. Nothing. The Book of Mormon is either the fullness of the gospel or it isn't. So if these things are essential, the lie is that the Book of Mormon is the fullness of the gospel. Or if these things are not essential, the lie is in the teaching that they are essential. Are you confused yet? <laughs> and does all of this matter? Yes. Well, anything that your eternity hangs on its truth or not true matters. It matters the most. It's it high priority does stuff. Matter. Next question. Next question. Why does Mormonism teach the sticks in Ezekiel 37 represent the Bible and the Book of Mormon when Ezekiel 37, 20, and 20 through 22 tells us that the sticks represent the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and not two books? That's a good question. That is an excellent question. And, and this is another topic we've discussed before on the program and, and suggest that you just read it in context. Yeah. Just read the context of the passage. That's all you have to do. Uh, what is most, and that's what's perplexing about it, is that the, the context does explain yeah, what it means. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. very clear. It does in um, this case. But the Mormonism teaches that it means something other than what the Bible says it means. Let's look at the passage. Yep, here we are. Ezekiel 37, <clears throat> 16 through 22. Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it. Ephraim's stick belonging to Joseph and all the house of Israel associated with him. Join them together into one stick so that they will become one in your hand. When your countrymen ask you this, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to take the stick of Judah, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him and join it to Judah's stick, making them a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. Hold before your eyes the sticks you have written on, and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. Now, this is not hard to understand. We don't read those last few verses. Yeah. As, I yeah. mean, I, I can't tell you as a missionary how many times I read to, to prospective member, or con, uh, investigators uh -huh. Ezekiel 37, 16, and 17. And what's the reaction? My, well, are they don't have an answer. I mean, most people aren't well Bible-read, so they're looking at that stick of Ephraim and the stick of Joseph, and we say, well, or Judah, and okay, that's the Bible. There's the Book of Mormon. We're going to put them together, and I held the two scriptures up, and, yeah. you know, yeah. I put them one in my hand. 
Nobody ever read 20 and 22. I know, just the, the <laughs> context. That, that's so important in any, in any reading is a yeah, context. I got five or six good ones out of the Bible that do that to yeah, me. It was just yeah. crazy when I started learning the, it's, to it read is. in context. The Bible interprets itself. It really does. Yeah, so, and, and, if it, so and if it's not immediately in the context, you'll find it in another place and you'll find yeah. your answer somewhere else in the Bible. Yeah. Um, and a, a verse 18, of course, is telling us, listen up. This is what it means. And then verses 19 through 22 tells us what it means. And Joseph Smith and Mormonism in the Book of Mormon is not part of the explanation. It's the rulership of Jesus as their king and the regathering of the Jews in their own geographical land of Israel. It's not about the Mormons or Utah or polygamists. And guess what? Joseph Smith did not change one single word of that passage in his translation. Is that right? Not one single word. The next question. Yeah, this hits home again. Can you produce archaeological or historical proof from non-Mormon sources, that's a good point, Mm -hmm. that verify that the peoples and places named in the Book of Mormon are true? And that's a good question. Can can polygamists or the LDS produce evidence using historical non-Mormon sources? Mm -hmm. Evidence for their claims in the Book of Mormon. Of course, all all Mormon-based sources are going to make the Book of Mormon seem historical, and they do some pretty fine spinning uh, to deceive. But archaeological, scientific, biological, DNA, internal and external evidence all point to the Book of Mormon as being a contrived and fraudulent document. Do you really want to gamble your eternity on something that isn't a sure thing? There are hundreds of non-Christian sources uh, of historical and archaeological evidence establishing the truth and accuracy of the Bible. Can you do the same for the Book of Mormon? Why wouldn't you even want to test it? So true. Next question. So Mormon apologists claim the words familiar spirit in Isaiah 29.4 prophetically refers to the Book of Mormon. But why do familiar spirits always refer to occult practices? such as channeling, witchcraft, psychics, and necromancy everywhere else in the Old Testament and is absolutely forbidden by God. And this is a very good question as well. Yes. Familiar spirits are condemned by God, no exceptions. <laughs> he would never communicate to his church through the work of a familiar spirit. Now, many polygamists and LDS follow their Mormon roots because parents and grandparents were faithful Mormons or Mormon pioneers. But ask yourself this question. Is it possible your parents were wrong about anything? Were they always right about everything? Whether they, whatever, <laughs> whatever they believe, by the way, is not your responsibility. What you believe is, and God will hold you responsible. Okay, next question. I beg your pardon. Are we on do you ever wonder uh-huh. why Joseph Smith commanded polygamy, claiming it was an ordinance from God, from Doctrine and Covenants 132, when the Book of Mormon had already condemned polygamy, from Jacob 115, 224, 227, those are really good, mm-hmm. Jacob 3 and 5, Mosiah 11, 2, 14, Mosiah 13 and 20, verse 22, and Ether chapter 10, Verses 5 and 11. Now, I wonder how many LDS or polygamists even know that there's that many passages in the Book of Mormon condemning polygamy. Yeah, I don't... I was shocked when I found yeah, them. Yeah, the only one I really knew of was Jacob 224. Mm. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all through there. Yeah. And if you haven't dared to answer, ask this question, why not? You need to. Uh, the truth is never to be feared. 
and truth can stand any test that you give it. Why isn't a man uh, having multiple sex partners not considered adultery, but it is if a woman who has multiple sex partners? I'll never get I'll never get over that double standard. When God said, "Thou shalt not commit adultery," does He just mean it? to abstain from multiple sex partners, not including polygamy or, or, or multiple, spouses. multiple spouses? These are valid questions. And, and don't fall for the canned polygamist answer that man can produce more righteous children uh, with multiple wives. That's not true. One man with five wives cannot produce more children than five men, each with one wife. And a one-wife family has, is happier and healthier and has better resources than a family with multiple wives. Ask yourselves these questions. Next question. Think a little, I think, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Why did God encourage Abraham and Sarah to lie in the Mormon Pearl of Great Price, Abraham 2 and 24, when according to the Ten Commandments, lying is a sin? And in, in, in 2, Nephi 2, uh, 2 Nephi 9.34 also condemns liars to hell. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's quote that one from 2 oh, Nephi. Oh, here it is. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, woe, unto the li- <clears throat> woe unto the liar, for he shall be thrust down to hell. And yet they teach that God wants them to do this very thing. Yeah. It's very wicked to teach that God encourages people to lie. And of course, in the Bible, God gives warnings about telling lies and bearing false witness. These two scriptures from Proverbs 19 and 9 and 21 and 28. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will perish and a false witness will perish, and whoever listens to him will be destroyed forever. Ooh. Oh, gosh. And they're teaching people to lie. It's a, it's a Mormon privilege to lie for the Lord. Yeah. It's a polygamous privilege to lie for the Lord. Yeah, protecting the organization. Protecting the work, yeah. yeah. Notice that listening to those who tells lies is not good. No. And Jesus himself warned us that we need to be careful how we listen. All spiritual doctrine needs to be checked out thoroughly, and God has given us the tools to do it. The next question, why does the book of Abraham, chapters 4 and 5, teach that there are multiple gods when the book of Mormon, Alma 11, and the Bible clearly teach there's only one God? Yes, in Alma eleven twenty-six through 31, And Zeezrom said unto him, Thou sayest there is a true and living God, and Amulek said, Yea, there is a true and living God. Now Zeezrom said, Is there more than one God? And he answered, No. Now Zeezrom said unto him again, How knowest thou these things? And he said, An angel hath made them known unto me. Is there more than one God? The question. Is there more than one God? The answer. Amulek no. said, No. <laughs> Simple. Now the reasoning from Mormonism is that he meant there's only one God for this world. Yeah. But that's a seriously flawed answer simply because neither the Book of Mormon nor the Bible says that. Even Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible doesn't say that. Next question. How can worthy Mormon and polygamous males become gods in the afterlife when God already said that before him no god was formed, nor will there be any gods formed after him from Isaiah 43.10? And Isaiah 43.10 says, You are my witnesses. And my servants whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, 
and neither shall there be after me. And again, this is very clear. It's not hard to understand. And the Joseph Smith translation did not change that verse. And in other places, the Joseph Smith translation does say there is only one God. For example, James 2.19, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The inspired version, Mark Mark 12 and 37, And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but him. Joseph Smith, yeah, yeah, one God, none other. Very clear. Also, if God had a father who was a God, why does Isaiah 44, 8 say that he doesn't know him? Wouldn't God know his own father? <laughs> yeah, and Isaiah 44, 8 says, is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Okay, so he couldn't be God if there were other gods and he didn't know it. Because God, <laughs> That God's, would be a little God's contradictory, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> and the Joseph Smith translation didn't change didn't that verse change either. That either right? So why not? Why does the Mormon faith have direct contradictions in such key doctrines? Eternal progression is a key doctrine in Mormonism. In fact, one reason is that polygamy is practiced is so that the polygamous man can eventually become a god, which is how they believe God himself became a god and his father before him and on back through the eternities. But if God doesn't know about other gods, doesn't that make you even a little bit suspicious? Perhaps suspicious enough to check it out. It's your eternity, and you are the one who will suffer the consequences of your actions or non-actions. And it's not worth the risk to just follow in the footsteps of someone else without your own personal investigation. Next question. Why does Doctrine and Covenants 42.18 say there is no forgiveness for a murderer when 3 Nephi 30 and 2 says there is forgiveness for him? Yeah, in Doctrine and Covenants 42, 18 and 19. And now behold, I speak unto the church. Thou shalt not kill. And he that kills shall not have forgiveness in this world, nor in the world to come. And again, I say, thou shalt not kill, but he that killeth shall die. And from the Book of Mormon, 3 Nephi 30 and 2. Turn all ye Gentiles from your wicked ways and repent of your evil doings, of your lyings, and of your murders and your priestcrafts, and from all your wickedness and abominations, and come unto me and be baptized in my name, that ye may receive a remission of your sins. So they're saying the liars can receive remission of sins. Yeah. In in Book of Mormon, but Doctrine and Covenant says he can't. Can't. And Jesus himself in Matthew twelve thirty one said that all all sins but one can be forgiven. Such confusion. <laughs> Joseph Smith couldn't even keep his doctors consistent. And why don't those in Mormonism take a closer look and see the conditions, uh, contradictions for themselves? Why label people anti-Mormon when the Book of Mormon itself is anti-Mormon? <laughs> and so is the Bible. Why live your life in polygamy or why be tied to a religion whose foundation is as sturdy as jello? <laughs> And that's the end of part one. We'll do more questions yeah, next time is, in part two. And really in the meantime, you do your homework. Yeah, think a little. Huh? <laughs> and that's that's why we ask questions. Is yeah. Hopefully it will get some get people to start to, thinking, maybe yeah. investigate. Check it out. Yeah. Thanks, Earl. You betcha. We'll see you at part two. <laughs> you know, Titus 1.14 teaches us not to devote ourselves to teachers who have turned away from the truth. Obviously, there is a measuring line that God has provided so that we can measure truth. 
Through the ages, that measuring line has remained the same, and it is the Bible. And we are warned by the God who loves us not to listen to or obey anyone who teaches other than what he has revealed in his word. God does not nor cannot contradict himself, yet the God that Mormonism and polygamous worship is a God of favoritism, contradictions, and unfaithfulness. But Jesus is faithful. He reveals God to individuals. He is a personal God, not a group God, and his genuine followers are all on the side of truth. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.